Are we ready? Get get the music going, Jeff. Go. Better. This is FinTech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Courtnich. Yeah, and uh, that guitar playing, by the way, was by the lovely Jeff himself. Uh, we didn't want to have any performing rights issues with the music, so Jeff just played it himself. Oh, and here is the man that is the uh, the centre of today. The victim. So, Suresh. Um, uh, do who, you are we, who are we speaking to today? Well, do you remember we said that we should get Julian on board? Julian who? Julian from Starling. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And the first thing Julian said was that I don't think that's a good idea. He did, he did. I, and, and, and why was that? I think it might have been something to do with him being the pantomime dame. No, I think it was the fact Fintech Unplugged is unscripted, unplanned, and usually title. anything can happen. It, and, and often does. Let's kick off. We are here, live at the EPA's wonderful event, Pay360. If everyone's enjoying Pay360 today, can we have a cheer from the audience? Yeah, yeah, so we've got all six of people cheering in the audience there, Suresh. So, so we are live, and in between us, we have today's victim. So we actually have a challenger bank, one that's actually very prevalent right now. Every time you go around London Underground, on the buses, everywhere, everyone's talking about Starling Bank. So Julian, could you intro us about yourself and tell us a little bit about what Starling Bank is. Hi there. Yeah, so my name is uh, Julian Sawyer. I am one of the co-founders of uh, Starling Bank, employee number seven, and I've been at the bank double for... Double seven. yep. So I've been at the bank for four years. So we started from a blank sheet of paper, trying to work out what the hell we were trying to, to build and our, and our vision. And I, I think if you followed us over the last few years, you will have seen that we've moved from just being a consumer current account to being an SME current account and now offering banking services to other banks and FIs and e-money institutions. So we've evolved our, our strategy over the last four years. And your background, Julian, what, 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 what were you, were you, were you, do you used to work at the post office behind the counters, like doling out the social security benefits? Or what did you do before? So this is actually my first proper job because prior to uh, <laughs> prior to this, I was a management consultant for twenty years. Ooh, so no. I, <laughs> we love them. Thank you. So yeah, I spent the last twen- twenty years doing uh, PowerPoint, and now realizing that there's a proper job to be done. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. How, that, that's kind of happened to me. I, I, are you any good at PowerPoint? I don't think you no, were. No, after, I was never after, any good after, at PowerPoint. After this morning, did so. you see? Yeah, that was really weird. 20 seconds, bang, bang, bang. And you, yeah, it doesn't work for me. From Sorry. 007 yeah. to how many staff do you have now? We have about 380. And when I say about, because every, every Monday there's another 10, 15, 20 people joining us. So it's, uh, it's fast growing at the moment. And has Starling got to the point where people are throwing their CVs at you? Is it kind of the place to go? Are they leaving the likes of Barclays and running to the challenger banks? I think there's, there's kind of two groups of people. And I often talk about fintech, and that's a, that's a collection of fin and tech. So most of our software engineers, I think all of our product managers are not from the banks. Clearly, everybody in risk, compliance, finance, etc. So we've got the right mix of the fin. So we do get the people out of the big banks. And we also get a lot of people that have come from uh, a lot of other product type businesses rather than financial services businesses. And am I right from memory, you don't have any project managers? Yeah, you're very good. You we did ha- that research well, sir. <laughs> that's, that's the first. So we have two project managers and they are 
are really focused on working with the payment schemes, working with some of our providers and external rather than internal. So we don't do Gantt charts in, in the building. We don't have MS project. So it's very much less planning and more doing because we feel that you can spend all your time thinking and planning and actually be far better just to get on and, and do it. The other stat that we have is we don't have any business analysts, which I think is a great thing. So it's, it's <laughs> no, about, one, no one can disprove any of your theories. Absolutely. So it, it's more about having really smart people, SMEs in terms of product or payments, and then putting them beside, literally sitting beside the soft software engineers and having a very quick delivery capability within the bank. And does that mean you've hit all your targets because there are none? You could say that, yes. <laughs> So we've got the bin of confusion, which basically, those of you who don't know, people that listen to us and people that have been here today have put questions in there. We don't know what's in there. Uh, and I can tell you that we've had some strange questions come out in the past. We have. So, and equally, I think, just to point out to the audience, we, we are in double figures now on our, our, our people listening. We've got 14 people listening 14, to our podcast. 14, and, and, and I'm hoping after today, with the six people in the audience, we could get up to 20. We're on a roll. We, we, we could so be on a roll. I'm gonna, Robert, you're going to go in there. Okay, let's but I've actually got one question I'll for Julian while, while you're doing that. He always that. does this. I go to get a bit of confusion so, and he makes it up himself. Julian, it seems like everyone that's launching any type of card in the market is calling themselves a challenger bank. You know, it might not be a challenger bank. It might not even be a bank. But everyone calls themselves a challenger bank. What's your, what's your views on that? So in preparation for today's uh, assassination I, <laughs> I actually listened to uh, the David Parker podcast which you did ah, you asked the same question there so if you want to get the answer you well he, he had this whole theory of a bank challenger and challenger bank but but that was then this is now what 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 differentiates Starling Bank you think is where, where we're coming from and what, what would you call yourself so we were very that's a slightly different of course it is. question uh, that you, question was you, asked you can by tell that he's a lawyer you can tell that he's a lawyer and <laughs> So I think there's, there's, there's two or three things here. One is when we were working out our branding, we went, are we a bank? Yes. Should we call ourselves Starling Bank or Starling? And we were very clear that we wanted to, to call out that we were a bank because your money is really important. Safety, security and everything that goes with that is absolutely critical. And while it could be trendy not to have the word bank on there, actually, are you going to move your salary? Are you going to bank with us and move your relationship to us if, if we're not, if you don't believe it to be a bank? So that was, that was a very f fundamental thing. I think to go back to uh, Shresh's question, I think if you look at the, the, the challenger world, I think you've got to split it down an awful lot because, and I've just been on a, on a panel, I've said the same, same thing, but You've got people like TSB saying they're the 200-year-old challenger bank. Santander is the scale challenger bank. This morning, we heard that NatWest is the biggest fintech in the UK. So there's a lot of clouding in terms of what does this really mean. What I think we're getting is some challenger banks that are actually challenging that doesn't necessarily mean they're doing things fundamentally different from a product perspective, but it's the how they execute and their focus is fundamentally different than an incumbent bank. I think you've also got then a number of e-money institutions and brands that have got cards, are doing a banking light model. And I think those are very different. They have a different cost structure typically, but they have a different protection. And the challenge, if I want to use that word, is do consumers actually understand the difference? No. Okay. Pretty much. 
Thank you. They don't. They don't really understand what an open bank is anyway. They're, they're, we will. We're, Jeff, where are you? Jeff, we need to go onto the street now. Uh, if you could just go out and ask, the man on the street knows what a challenger bank is. The man on the street. It could be a woman. Yep, sure thing, Robert. Well, we are at Liverpool Street Station, and over my shoulder I can see there is an information point. So uh, let's go and ask for some information. Hello. Can you tell me, do you, know, do you happen to know what a challenger bank is? A challenger bank. Yeah, have you ever heard have you ever heard of the phrase oh. challenger bank? Try the main information desk. Okay. The main one there. Right. Hello. Hello. Do you know what a challenger bank is? No. Would, would, would you know? Do you know what a challenger bank is? Challenger bank? Yes. No. No. Okay. Have you heard of something like a Sorry. 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 So, I'm just trying to get to Bond Street. Platform five. Yeah. Okay. You don't happen to know what a challenger bank is, sir? Do you? A challenger bank. A challenger bank. Do you, do you know? Yes. Yeah. Still a bit of a server. What, yeah. what do you think a challenger bank is? Um, it'll be one of the new banks that's not traditional. It's not one of the old established banks. And, and yeah. what like do you, Metro Bank. Me, exactly, Metro yeah. Bank. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Would you do? You, would you use a, a challenger bank or a, like yeah. a, if? Uh, they offer attractive interest rates, yeah. especially which you're saving, and okay. the mortgage rates are competitive. Uh, yeah. You, would, you wouldn't go to one just because the, the current banks are really no. you know, terrible and useless? No, 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 sorry, no, because no? uh, I think uh, because of the government like uh, support with regards to protection of people's money, okay. I think that, yeah, they're just as good as the big banks, if anything, to be honest. Oh, okay, many thanks. All right. Thank no. that, that, was, that was good. Metro <laughs> Bank, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm Halifax. Oh, my sister's Halifax. She's very good with Halifax. Oh, okay. All right. They haven't they haven't pissed you off at all with messing up your account or being old old fashioned paper based everything. I used to be with Oh, okay. All right. So you're you're old school. I am. Yeah. My husband works at a bank. So. What does he do? He's a banking consultant for Halifax. Oh. Yeah. My sister loves the Halifax. I love yeah. Halifax. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Right, I oh, think you've got people waiting to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, thank you. Erin. Erin, have you ever heard of the phrase Challenger Bank? Yes, I have. And uh, could you name a Challenger Bank? Uh, Metro Bank. Okay. Um, so, do you currently bank with? A high street bank, or are you, uh, you know, do you bank with one of the smaller challenges? Uh, I bank with the high street bank. Okay, right. So what do you like about your, your high street bank? Um, it's low effort. To be honest, I just haven't changed bank account for, like, years. And I know you're meant to, but I'm lazy. So that's, <laughs> that's it. That's all I've got, yeah. So, so you haven't, have you seen any of these, um, like, apps that sort of people like Starling Bank or Monzo use where they instantly tell you, you know when you spent some money, so you see how much you spent. Yeah. Analysis of how you spend your money. Yeah, I've seen them. See? <laughs> Again, very lazy. Very lazy. <laughs> so, do you mind telling me who you do currently bank with? Uh, Nationwide. And is there anything particularly that you like about Nationwide? Um, the, the, you know they're not as evil as some of the other big players. Not as evil. Yeah. You hope. Yeah, you hope. You hope. Yeah. The man on the street. It could be a woman. Thanks, Jeff. Just, just so we asked um, people in the street, what do they think open banking was? And they said, that, oh, I already use it. I use the ATM machine. It's open 24 hours a day. So, you know, it, it's, it's very random. Consumer education is not finished in this space. But I'm going to dive into the vinegar. Now, questions here can be random.
Do you see evidence of where the regulatory environment is hindering the future growth of the fintech industry? <laughs> no. Okay, good question. Um, <laughs> Next question. Do starlings eat blueberries, or did your logo come from some other means? I made that one up. <laughs> Suresh, you great one. What fintech trend emerged this year that wasn't on your radar in the previous years? I think one of the big surprises that we've had in the last 12 months is cash. And we talk a lot about um, we're a digital bank. And when we started, we went, people are not going to want to pay cash and they're not going to have cash, you know, because they're all digital banking people. And we found that they need cash and they wanted to pay in cash. And it was interesting, actually, because we have customers who pay in £10. So they will queue up and pay in 10 20 £30. Okay, because people are budgeting and it's very easy for us to forget about the consumers in, in the street and what they're doing and how they are managing their money, typically in their, in their heads is how much have I got to spend and if they get an extra money from someone, what are they going to do? So one of the things that we've done is we've done a partnership with the post office where it enables people to pay money in. We did not have that in our plan at all. And I think, you know, we can have this race to digital, to cards and contactless and everything else. But at the end of the day, we've got to listen to what consumers want. And if they want cash, then we, need, we as a challenge bank, have to provide access to that. Actually, I've just picked up three questions that are all about one topic. So I'm going to, I'm going to say to you, could you, in a nutshell, what's the best case scenario of Brexit and the worst case scenario of Brexit? Thanks for that. <laughs> what's the best case scenario? A best case is a orderly exit in terms of giving stability to consumers to companies and also to to the world of banking we've passported to ireland we run sepa out of dublin you know we've had to put plans in place that is you know you can argue wasting a lot of time and money and resources that we could have spent doing anything else worst case is just the pain we're feeling at the moment of just not knowing and there's a cliff and even, you know, I haven't seen the news today, but I'm sure there's a whole range of things that hasn't ha that's happened today that we didn't know about last night. And I think that's the, the worry for us. Can fintech make a profit in financial inclusion? So that kind of goes back to your paying 10 quid in the post office. So you're clearly open for financial inclusion. Uh, we heard just before lunch that the EPA's launched a whole new track on financial inclusion and, and trying to get that whole moving forward. Is it just a, a CSR thing or is, can banks still make money from that end of the pyramid? If you look at how banks make money, there was a number of different levers, whether that's interest on, on the deposits, in, interchange or lending. I think with a digital product, we can execute so much cheaper or, or lower cost base than a traditional incumbent bank. And I think that is where it becomes interesting and exciting. There are a number of fintechs that just specialise in that market as a whole, and there's other ones that can support that. So I can't see any reason why we can't. Um, I also think this is about helping the unbanked getting access to money. And a lot of people in the unbanked world have access to money, but it is incredibly high cost. And if we, as an industry, can, with digital channels, be able to execute that for consumers, then I think that's a really good thing for, for the industry as a whole. And sort of building on that, that that's what you're doing on, on your own. But uh, I know 
we've had chats about what you're doing on other things as well, and you're looking at also working with third parties that, that might have their own financial inclusion products. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and how, how that can work? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we're very focused on doing a, a current account. What we recognize is that consumers actually want to have other products and features. So we have a marketplace. A marketplace has got a set of APIs that third parties can integrate to whether that is loyalty, whether that's lending products, whether it's savings products, et cetera. And I think that creates a, an environment where you can have access to different set of products, a richer set of capabilities, but also what is a true market. So traditionally, what the incumbents did is they did a, a, a JV between the bank and the insurance company. And then they, they would then offer you a single travel insurance product. What we believe in is like a market in your local town or village where there are multiple people selling the same products and you choose whether you want bananas from one uh, uh, store to another store because of price or quality or whatever. So we want to have multiple people offering travel insurance, offering savings, offering lending products as well that are specialized to different markets and segments. And I think that openness is really, really important because most consumers now are very comfortable about picking their own their own products. And we see this in thing, thing, things like travel. I'm old enough, and, and certainly the guys here are old enough, Thank to you. remember... Robert is. Travel Just agents. Me. In the old days, you used to go to a shop, a travel agent, you used to go there and book your holiday. Now we go on to Expedia, or we go to EasyJet, and we buy our components that we want to make the holiday that we want. And I think financial services is the same. And I think if you look at this and say... How do banks measure themselves? And if you look at a number of banks in their annual reports, they say our customers are, have an average of 2.4 products. Well, that's a great statistic for the bank, but not for the customer. I don't care whether my bank is giving me two products or three products or four products. That doesn't, I want the best products. And I don't mind if they come from one bank or they come from five different banks. And that's the key thing. And it goes back to are we actually measuring and are banks measuring the right KPIs for today's world because actually the world is changing and it's not about how many how many cross-selling I can do. Now, now Julian, this next question you you can answer Which didn't it. Come out of the bin, I know. It's, it's there, it's there, it's there. Are you sure? He, he yeah, yeah. It it's yeah, uh, you know, it's one he wrote we don't left hand. We stop. We stopped doing match fixing. Um, <laughs> so it's a question you can answer as a consultant with your consultancy old hat on. Okay. So that's maybe a pre-warning. But we are seeing a lot of high valuations in the fintech space. What are your thoughts on how some of these valuations are, are acceptable? And secondly is, are there any buzzwords or keywords that people should use to get higher valuations? Can I take the Fifth Amendment on this one and uh, <laughs> just move on? You know, with any valuation, this is not my area of expertise at all. But the key thing is, is you've got to go back to what, what is the business? And if the business is strong, robust, and is profitable, or you can see a line to how you are going to get profitable, I think that is the absolute key. And while we've seen in the dot-com dot years and on some of the fintechs and some of the unicorns that it's very difficult to understand how someone is going to make money and how they're going to succeed. So I, I do think you've got to get back to basics and not just race to the unicorn status, but actually go... How are you going to make money? Is that a sustainable business? What is the true definition of fintech? Everybody seems to be a fintech. Okay, so, I, so a lot of people talk about fin, fintechs versus banks, and I really object to, to that because 
Starling's a fintech, but we're also a bank. And actually what I think you've got is fintech is a, is a mindset rather than a regulatory status. And once you get your head around that, that is about focus, it's about execution, it's about technology, it's about thinking about different things differently. And there is no reason why a incumbent cannot be a fintech if they change their culture, their execution, etc. So I think if we can do one thing today and just realize that it's not fintechs versus banks, fintech is a way of execution, I think is, is, is absolutely the, the key thing here. No, I, 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 any, any comments from the audience on that? Do, do, are there, uh, just on a raise of hands, how, how many people here think banks should be allowed to be called fintechs, like Nat West said this morning? Is, who says, yes, they should, and who says, no, it can only be techie companies? So who says, yes, banks can be fintechs? That's a split audience, 50-50. So uh, it's obviously still out there in the cloud. With open banking, what protection does the consumer have if the merchant goes bust? So this question was from David Parker, because every, every conference he writes, he asks the same question. Ah, and, and, and the answer is none. Thank you. Suresh. I've got a question, though. In terms of, you know, Starling has been this amazing success story. Has there been anything on that journey that potentially could have derailed it? Was there decisions that could have been could have gone another way? What was there any T junctions in which you could have ended up way down a different rabbit hole? Just in terms of, you know, what were the right decisions you made? Were there, were there any difficult situations where it could have gone another way? Probably a couple of thousand per week. Per week. <laughs> I mean, I think. I think it's easy to to sit here and go, well, it's been a great success, it's a good brand, et cetera, et cetera. When I joined, we had no funding. Okay, We were filling in application forms for our banking license. When you hand in the, the application, you have to hand some money over. So you can't hand one in before the other. Who's going to invest in eight or nine of us with no products, et cetera? So that was on a daily basis was, are we doing the right thing? Are we going to get funding? Who's going to fund us, et cetera? And that takes a huge, huge amount of, of time and effort. Clearly, you then got the application. These things are complicated. There are, I think it was 1,400 pages that had to, had to uh, be collated for, for the application. The clock doesn't start ticking until it has been verified that those papers are all correct, which means that you know, from an investor point of view, they don't know when, when the money's when the money is needed, etc. You've then got people and hiring. Are you hiring the right people? What does the tech look like? How does that work? You've got whether the product's going to work. Do customers actually want it? So our first five, 10,000 customers were probably some of you, some of our competitors, and a whole bunch of fraud fraudsters trying to test out the systems. So it's only when you get to a certain stage do you actually get real customers. And then are they behaving in the right way? Is their behavior what we thought they were going to be, the average number of card transactions, the average number of direct debits and faster payments, et cetera? So there's a whole range of every single, almost every day, but decisions that are made which plots the course. Some of them you tack and you go off and you bring, bring yourself back on. And other ones you realize quickly that are not the right answer and you, you move on. We shouldn't underestimate the effort and the amount of work that goes into getting a product live and there'll be many people here who who have done some similar things but it is not an insignificant thing 
And Julian, if you could choose any payments company or any bank in the world that you could work for or you would want to work for other than Starling, who would you choose? Well, it'd have to be Tribe and More One, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, we love Great. That one. We love, have we, we, love have we got a bribery act here? We, 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 we got the bribery out there. But J Julian, on your on your personal journey here, your your role has changed a few times since the the founding of, of, of an employee 007. H how how have you found it's changed? Because obviously a, a seven man organisation yep. is a very different to a 380. And how about the the whole corporate governance and that whole structure? These things change a lot. Yeah, it does. I I, I made the uh, mistake because I. Um, reached out to Anne Bowden, our CEO, who I didn't know. I went via a contact of mine and said, I'd like, I'd like to try and help you do some payments consultancy. And she said, yeah, come on in. She's very good at that. Uh, but we can't pay you. Now, normally when you have a consulting, it's usually at the end of the, of, of the project they say they're not going to pay you, not at the beginning. So I, I, I turned up for a couple of weeks and thought, this is kind of interesting. And the journey then went from, I'll do a bit of payments, do some stuff in faster payments, some stuff with MasterCard, to, well, what's our credit risk and how are we going to do that and how are we going to do onboarding and how are we going to service our customers, et cetera. So that evolved over, over a six-month period in 2015 as we were heading towards the application, as we were heading towards funding, et cetera, into being COO. So I was uh, Chief Operating Officer for three years. And in the last 18 months or so, we've been offering banking or payment services to third parties. And as a payments person, it became very evident that that's really where I should spend my time, while other people and some of my colleagues can run the contact center and fraud and HR and stuff like that. So we've moved the, the role into effectively from a horizontal to a vertical. So I've now got PL responsibility. I think there's... Um, an evolution as you're growing so quickly in terms of have you got the right people doing the right things and they I think it's the Tim or Tom Collins book of good to great is have you got the right right people on the bus and are they on the right seat and I think the one thing that sets challenger banks and fintechs and technology companies is the ability to pivot the ability to change uh, without it being a fundamental shift in what you're doing so the structures have changed quite a lot we are, as, as I said earlier, and as Shresh asked, we are growing incredibly fast on headcount. So that needs a, a different set of skills. That needs a different set of experience, controls, and a different set of, of, of management. And so we are and have morphed our business two or three, three times in the, in the last few years. This is normally the time when we would be asking the audience to, to throw some awkward questions in for, for Mr. Does, it, does anybody have any questions? Yep. Um, let's get the microphone to the gentleman in the front there. It'll be yours, obviously, Suresh. So the, the good thing is Suresh cannot now talk um, <laughs> while, while, while Ray is speaking so, to us. So, Julian, do you think the current funding model is sustainable with crowdsourcing for, for the likes, you know, other banks, maybe not yours, but other banks in this sector? Banks need a lot of money. Okay, so we've raised 150 odd million pounds to date. We've also been awarded the RBS rem remedies money. So I think we're at sort of 350 million. You don't get 350 million out of Crowdcube or some of those things. I think in the early days, it's great, particularly if you're a, more of a fintech rather than a bank. But the amount of capital that you need to put in there and the assurance that you've got that capital is fundamental. And there is an awful lot of risks. You know, in any startup, in any industry, there is a lot of risk as a high probability of failure. And if you're going down a crowdsourcing, crowdfunding route, then are you being really clear to your investors about the inherent risks and they don't get carried away with the, the brochures and everything else that goes with that? Thank you. Good question. 
Anyone else have a question? We have a question just behind there. Hi. Um, so you mentioned earlier that being a fintech is a mindset, not a thing, basically. <laughs> My question is, Starling's growing really quickly, as you said. How are you going to stay in the fintech mindset? How are you still going to be quick? Because no bank, no big bank said, yeah, this week we're going to make it really difficult to do anything and be really slow to get to market with anything. No one wants to be slow, but how are you going to stay innovative and fast moving? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. It's something, I think, first of all, you have to work on. There's a, a good book written by the head of people at Google who, talk, who talked about culture and, and change. And every six months, people come into Google and say, this is a fantastic place to work. And the people who've been there six months older than that go, it's changed su such a lot. So we have to evolve. Just moving on slightly to your question, I want to, um, a friend of mine is, is quite senior in one of the big four banks. And he said to me, Julian, when you can sell your shares, sell. And I'll quote him directly. He said, we had a steering committee and we've decided to go digital. Okay, let's just understand that as a direct quote. Let's understand. I haven't been in a steering committee for four years. We don't do steering committees. We get on and do things. And we don't decide to do digital. And so therefore, it's part of the DNA of the organization. And therefore, I think that has got far more capability to, to grow than it is a, you've got to a certain stage and now you've got to put in a very traditional structure in place. So you've got to grow the organization from the risks, the, the, the controls, the compliance, et cetera. You've got to put layers in to support a growing team when you're into several hundred. But you've got to also have that rapid execution, decision-making, et cetera, which I think is really, really important. And we probably think that Google is very agile. We think Amazon is very agile, but they've got hundreds of thousands of customers, sorry, of uh, staff. And it is because they have a different mindset. And as long as we keep that core and we recruit people who understand that, then I think that's where we will have the advantage as, as we grow. Obviously, Starling's culture is very important to you. If you were to hypothetically ever be acquired by one of the big banks, do you think that your culture could supersede theirs and take it over, a bit like Pixar did with Disney. Do you think that Starling's culture could take over, say, HSBC or whoever? So was the question when we take HSBC over or uh, they take us over? Exactly. Okay. It's, it's a very good question. I think I would say two things. I think we are very clear, and I know our CEO is very clear that she does not want to work for one of the big banks. She's spent a career doing that and has created Starling to do something very different. So I don't think that is a valid scenario for us but I think when you have ever seen an innovative company being acquired by somebody else it has never gone well okay and even if you look at the acquisitions that Facebook has done some of the acquisitions that Google has done it is not a success and and, and you could say that they are almost very similar in terms of their culture and your question is an organization which is fun, fundamentally different I just can't see it I can't see it working Oh my God, we, 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 they, they're running across. I think we've, uh, five out of the six people in the audience have now put their hands up. Yeah, hi. A quick question about the £100 million that came to you. How will you spend the money then? So for those of you who are not aware, the RBS Remedies had a pool of money and there were there's four pools, of which the first pool A was awarded a couple of weeks ago, of which Metro got £120 million and we got £100 million. In the public domain on the BCR 
website is the public commitments that we have made as well as what Metro and Clearbank have made. So we are going to spend the money on a whole range of different things. We've made uh, commitments to for a whole range of products that we're going to add into the SME space. We're going to look at different channels. We're growing in terms of our customer service and about being able to support regions in terms of Wales, Ireland and Scotland, as well as the northeast and northwest. Those are commitments that are legally binding. We have an, in, an independent audit review of that and the money can be pulled back. This is not just a gift. I know you didn't call it a gift, but it is not a gift. This is a, we have a program over the next four years with very firm and tight commitments and, and obligations that we will want to honour. What that will do will enable us to grow deeper into the SME space. It'll enable us to provide different set of products and really to try and compete and grow our market share, but compete against the incumbents, which as we know in the SME space has dominated the sector. Oh, and there's one in the front as well. Okay. Are there any other industries with established large customer bases, airlines, your utilities or others, that you see could be potential competitive threats over the midterm? So I think overall in the world of banking, we will see and other players coming in and doing part of the value chain. And that may be more of the customer end. It could be, you know, if you look at what Klarna is doing in the retail space, they're changing part of that. If you look at some of our clients in banking services, we're doing the payments for them so they can concentrate on other things. So I can see there is a, a place where the, the value chain gets disrupted and that may be a brand. But I think it, it does go back to would you bank with EasyJet or would you open, would you have your salary paid into British Airways current account? At the end of the day, you may want a loyalty card or a credit card. You want your points and everything else. But do you want to bank with an airline or a, a retail brand, etc.? And the answer has been to date, because people have tried it, is no. They want to be with a bank. And I think that's, in, that's an important distinction for where they want their money to be. And I, I think that that's been quite resounding across a, a, a long time. I mean, if you, and you look at the incumbent banks and how they've managed to keep their customers over this whole period, I think that, that whatever the financial crisis is that takes place, at the end of the day, people still feel safer with banks and the whole rack of regulation that's behind it, the fact you've got the Bank of England behind it, um, there is a feeling of security. Payments, I think, as you rightly said, the other players can come in and do pieces of that pie. The Amazons have a great payment product, great, great experience. Uh, and that's what they're going to be good at. The user experience they're going to be great at. But where people hold their funds, I think you're right. I think it'll take a long time before you move banks out of that space. Well, I think if you go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the thing at the bottom was safety and security, wasn't it? If your money is not safe, you're not going to put that. You may put 20 quid in or 50 quid in but you're not going to put your salary in, you're not going to live your life on something which you don't think is safe and secure. Brilliant. And we have got one very, very last question from Dan in the front row. Oh, it's an honour to be the last. Um, <laughs> I'm what's... super pleased with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's almost off the hot seat. He doesn't realise we've got some uh, surprises. But hey. Not quite off the hook yet. <laughs> what's still broken in financial services? What's the biggest thing that still hasn't been done? Financial services is inward-facing and not customer-facing. And what the challengers are doing in the broadest sen sense of that definition is challenging the customer experience. And I think what is really 
exciting and pleasing for us is when someone says, I've just opened one of your car, uh, accounts and it's brilliant. Yeah, I've never heard someone say, I've just opened a Barclays account, it's brilliant. Can I show you these features? Yeah, there's a passion, okay? That passion helps us on customer acquisition. It gets that word of mouth, okay? That's critically important. But it's also about having that feeling of we're doing something for the customer because they like it. And it may be one feature that you like. We've got 101 little features in terms of the benefits, but listening to customers, building stuff, iterating really, really quickly, and doing stuff that is a, what I call a no regrets move. We'll do it, okay? If people love it, great, we'll build on it. But if not, it doesn't matter. And so it's all about the customer. And I think as an industry, we've forgotten that over many, many years. So, so Starling was the first of the challenger banks to do Apple Pay, Android Pay, Fitbit Pay. I have a question. Uh, what's next? What's next? What, what, what is it? That, what is it? What's, what's next? You've always been at the front line in terms of new innovations, new things. What's, you know, what do you have? So I guess there's, there's two or three points to this. One is we don't, our mentality is not to have a three-year roadmap or plan, okay? Again, you spend more time planning and thinking and then not meeting those, those, those goals. So that's, that, that, that's one thing. So if you ask me, what, what are we going to do in the next three years, with the exception of what we're doing with the SME and RBS money, I couldn't tell you, okay? We have lots of things we want to do, but it's more about the direction of travel. So the direction of travel is making the experience absolutely amazing but making it amazing for each of our customers is different. So we have something called Spending Insights. That is great. Some of you may use it. I don't use it. But there are other controls and other things that I think are fantastic that you don't use. And it's about just iterating really, really quickly. You mentioned the pays. When we launched uh, Fitbit Pay, it was five days of software engineers' time, one software engineer. So that is a no-regrets move. You can just iterate. So when whoever else does the next pay, we can just iterate that really, really quickly. So it is about having all these features and making it a richness, making sure that we have lending products that are good and are appropriate for what customers want, ensuring that we've got an open marketplace to enable third parties to integrate with us. It's just a whole range of iterations. So this isn't about we're stopping and we'll wait for NatWest to come and pick, uh, catch up with us. It's about us iterating and continue to iterate, which means that our app gets updated probably every couple of weeks. And in the back-end servers, we, we upgrade every three to four times a day because we're constantly iterating what our product is and the features that we've got. I was just going to ask whether you knew how many app updates you've done in the last year. Probably 25 if it's one a fortnight. Well, I think that's going to be a wrap. Suresh, the, um, the, the bag that uh, Julian brought with 100 million is next to you. <laughs> if, if I hold Julian down, you jump onto the motorcycle <laughs> and, and we can escape. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. No. Thank you, Julian, for taking the risk. Julian Sawyer. Thank you very much, Julian. <laughs>